For a long time now, I have really enjoyed buying antiques. Now, I'm not a collector by any means. I, I don't go to different shows or anything, but it's just more as I go throughout life and I see something cool, I think, man, that's awesome. That thing has history to it. It has a story behind it. It's a good conversation piece. I've never once had a conversation about any of the conversation pieces I've ever bought, but I still, I still enjoy them. I think the story behind them adds value to the thing that I see, and, and I like the story, and so I buy the thing to remind me of the story. But I, I, while I don't collect officially, I do have a number of things that I've, I've bought throughout the years that have just been really, really cool to me. One is a 70s rain lamp. And for those of you that aren't familiar, it's this huge, like, two-foot lamp that hangs down from your ceiling, and it has a reservoir of oil in the bottom, and the oil gets pumped up through a little engine, and then it rains down onto a scene that's in the middle of that lamp. It looks like, mine looked like a house with trees around it and everything. And it would rain down in little droplets along fish wire. And it was just the coolest thing to me. I bought it at an antique store for like 40 bucks, and I was like, I don't even know if this thing works, but I just think it looks so cool. And I hung it up for about two years. And to me, it had value, even though someone else was like, man, if I can get 40 bucks for this thing, I've really suckered somebody. And I was that sucker. I was happy to be because I thought it was really cool. Other things I have, uh, one, one is a P.T. Barnum, the guy who had the, the Barnum and Bailey Circus. P.T. Barnum, I have an engraved copper plate of a photograph that was taken of him. And I read his autobiography a long time ago. I really think he's an interesting man. And having that picture is like the closest I could get to looking at that man's face, even though he's dead. Because what they did was take the picture, put it on the copper plate, pour acid over it, and it would engrave the picture onto the copper. So the picture's destroyed, but the copper plate's still there. So I see it, and I'm like, that's as close to looking at him as I could possibly get, even closer than the actual picture itself. There's only one of these in the world. To me, that was awesome. To most people, maybe not, but that's okay. I also have uh, a few things of war memorabilia, like a, a Revolutionary War bullet from the Battle of Yorktown. To me, that was the coolest thing. You know, the founding of America, uh, the deciding battle in that war. And at the time, there was probably hundreds of thousands of those things just lying on the ground, and people picked them up and threw them in the trash, got rid of them, but that one was saved. And to me, that was just awesome. So some of these things are universally cool or interesting or valuable, like the war memorabilia. They have a certain value on them because uh, in America, we value the memories that we have of what was fought for, or we value the freedom that we earned uh, through those wars, or the things that we gained, or the things we protected through fighting those wars. And it's generally thought that certain war memorabilia has a certain value to it, to the people that uh, can understand what the war was fought about, or maybe even had, have a connection, like a family member uh, that fought in that certain war. So th these are things that are, are universally, they have value to us. Now, a lot of the other things I listed are not so much. They have, you know, not so much value. They're, they're one man's trash is another man's treasure, and they were my treasure and another man's trash. But they were, they were valuable to me anyways, and I, I think they're really neat. But what this saying means, one man's trash is another man's treasure, is that we personally ascribe value to this thing. So this thing that I purchased, 
I find value in it and I ascribe value to it and then I pay money for that thing and I give it a certain value by doing that. But the value of some of these things is, is really interesting to consider or the value of things at large is really interesting to consider because some of it can change so drastically over time. All of these things that I've listed that I've bought over the years, they have a certain wear and tear to them. They're not mint condition. They're not perfectly preserved. They have chips and dings and tarnish on them. But to me, that adds to the character, so it's okay. But they, they decrease in monetary value over time. Now, some of them uh, might have been valuable initially, but then over time, they've decreased. So like the 70s rain lamp at the time, maybe that was a really cool thing. People were like, I'd pay like 80 bucks for that. I bought it for 40. You guys might not spend a dollar on it, but I thought it was cool, so to me it was worth 40. But it's depreciated in value over time. And this happens to all things eventually. Nothing maintains its value given a certain length of time. Eventually things deteriorate and even things that ramp up in value over a certain age of time, like a fine wine for example, it needs a certain age and once it's reached that age then we say that's more valuable now than it was when it was first uh, corked. But all things over time depreciate in value. There is nothing on this earth that given enough time will not fall apart disintegrate and back to dust where it came from essentially just like ourselves you know from dust we were made to dust will return that's the same thing with all of the material world nothing lasts forever but there are very few material things that last so long in such good condition that their value exponentially skyrockets there are a few things one of them that I found is ancient coins if you look up the ancient coin market right now, it is insane. Tiny pieces of silver or gold or bronze, tiny pieces of metal stamped with some sort of insignia, and they, at one point, back in ancient history, were worth a penny. Now they're worth hundreds of dollars, some even thousands of dollars. The market has skyrocketed because they've lasted for such a long time in such good condition. Essentially what would happen when these coins were made is that an emperor would come to power, and as a, sig a signal of that power, he would want to make his own currency. So he would get people working on their currency, and he would uh, bring together metal workers, and they would glob out little, little globs of metal, and then stamp it with something like the emperor's face, or something he had accomplished to really solidify that he was in power, he was in control of their money, and that he had done great things. So this was a daily reminder that this guy was in charge, the guy that was on your coin. But over time, as new emperors came into power, these coins became worthless because you'd have a new guy come in and says, I don't want the last guy's face on our coins. So he would make new coins with his face on it, and the coin that was once worth $5 is now worth nothing. So he would have people come and trade their money in for new coins with his face on them to signify his rule. But now, all of those coins are worth a ton of money based on the uh, quality of the coin, the material the coin's made from, which period of history it signifies, um, and you can find them for, like I said, hundreds or even thousands of dollars in some cases. So these coins are some of the few things that have lasted so well for so long 
that their value has just increased exponentially. With this in mind, I'd like to look at just one passage today that we might have always understood to an extent, but that we might be able to have a fuller meaning of when we read it in light of this context, of these little pieces of silver and gold lasting for so long and still being worth so much, even more than they were at the time of their mint. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Peter. First Peter, and we'll go to the first chapter of that book. First Peter 1. We'll start reading in verse 17. It's kind of hard to break into this section of scripture. In verse 17 it says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Primarily what this is talking about is living your life in a certain fear and reverence towards God, knowing that you were dead in your sins and that now you're not. You're alive. You're able to live. So every step you take is one more that you get to take because God has redeemed you from your sins. So living in that that fear, that humility, that reverence towards God and the sacrifice that he gave for us. It kind of reminds me a little bit of there's a story Um, It's like an ancient church tradition. I don't put much stock in it. But they say that after Lazarus was resurrected by Christ, he never smiled again. Because he was like, I was halfway there, man. And you brought me back to this? And it kind of reminds me of that. But conduct yourself in fear, knowing that every step you take should be a little bit more humble than it was before. Because now you're redeemed. Now you get a second chance at life that you didn't have before. You were dead in your sins, and now you're not. So that's the context of what we're talking about here. Going on to verse 18, it says, Knowing, this is something we should know, Peter says, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So if we were to paraphrase this passage, we might say, you weren't bought with things that wither away and turn to dust, but with something that has always been and something that has always had incredible value. Now the part of this verse that we understand is that the blood of Christ is worth so much more than the wealth of this world. We understand that it has a high value. But the part that we might not have gotten is that Peter didn't use something perishable, as we understand perishable, to highlight this example. He uses an example that lasts such a long time and holds incredible value and actually increases in value for after a long time. He could have chosen things like food or drink, which after a week pretty much just rots away with mold and then goes into the ground and If you compost, then you know what that's like. He could have used paper. We have paper money today. They had very little papyrus and things like that now. And even that's amazing how long it's lasted, but not much of it has. A lot of it has just disintegrated into nothing. He could have used clay or even animal sacrifice or or human beings. We weren't bought with the lives of human beings. Human beings last 70, 80, 90 years. Things that are perishable. But Peter listed something here, silver and gold, that is universally considered valuable and lasts for a really, really long time. So the comparison here isn't between Christ's blood that has never depreciated in value and something that is here today, gone tomorrow. 
like food, water, things like that. The comparison is between Christ's blood that is never depreciated in value and something that is universally understood to be valuable and to be lasting. So how much more is Christ's blood valuable than these things? Not that these things aren't valuable or lasting because they really, really are. In another verse, Peter talks about the destruction of the world to make room for the new heaven and the new earth. The old earth passes away, and it says that the elements will melt away with a fervent heat. So even until the very end of all things, these elements, silver and gold, they'll be there. They're going to last. But nothing, absolutely nothing can last from the time before the foundation of the world until the world is burnt up in heat. Nothing, except for the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing has been able to withstand the test of time and maintain its value for that long. But the blood of Christ is so much more valuable than anything in this world, and it never depreciates in value. Even all of the world's wealth and resources, if we were to give it up and say, okay, you can have this, and we'll just have the blood of Christ for salvation, it's not enough payment. That's how much more valuable it is than anything we could ever imagine. All of the world's wealth and resources don't measure up, don't stand up. Now, I think this should give us some clarity of understanding on the incredibly precious nature of the blood of Christ. But I think it should also give us some clarity on how important we are to God. Because that price that we've been talking about that transcends all things valuable and transcends all things lasting has been paid for you. In Matthew 6.21, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I would say the same is true for God. His treasure, his value, his life was given and is wrapped up in ours. So we can see that his heart is given and is wrapped up in our lives. So we can never repay him, even if we had the entire wealth of the world at our disposal, even if we had every coin able to be minted, every ounce of gold out of the earth, none of that would do anything to even come close to repaying him for the sacrifice that he gave for us. But he does ask us for something. And it's not less or more than everything we have. It is everything we have. He asks us for our hearts. The beauty is that each of us have that to give. We can all make that payment. No matter what you value your heart at compared to other people's hearts, it doesn't matter. He wants your heart, and he wants my heart. To him, that has value. So we should value ourselves just a little bit more, knowing that Jesus Christ paid a penalty worth more than all of creation and everything that's ever been made. His treasure was given for us, and his heart is for us. So then how life-altering should it be to know this and then give everything we have of our time, our resources, our life for him so that we know and he knows and that everyone around us knows that our heart may be for him as his heart is also for us.